Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to the Book Collector podcast. This is the Book Collector's 50th podcast since we started it 18 months ago. Well, 50 is not too bad. And to honour the occasion, and, to be frank, to get in an early plug for Bond Behind the Iron Curtain, which we'll be publishing in October, I'm going to read an article I wrote for the famous Ian Fleming issue in spring 2017, entitled My Uncle Ian. After 50 years under the guardianship of Nicholas Barker, the book collector has come full circle. It was Ian Fleming who, amidst all the incidents of an extraordinary life, found time to launch the journal, lead it, and promote it indefatigably. His line died out with the death of his son, Caspar, and it is to me, a nephew, that the book collector has descended. The Fleming story has often been told. Conservative MP killed in the trenches in 1917, Steely Widow takes charge, a half-sister joins the four boys, one of the boys is killed on the retreat to Dunkirk, the rest lead lives of distinction, if not brilliance. The girl was Amaryllis. The boys who were left were, in age order, Peter, Ian and Richard. My father was Richard. Every successful family needs a Richard. He was the quiet one, the man behind the scenes, the man whom everyone goes to for advice, the man who, when the biographies come to be written, gets only a handful of indexed entries, as it were, Fleming, Richard. Runs the family bank, page 54. Has eight children, 54, note. As family advisor, 103, 115, 167, 189, 226, 228, 240, 242 to 8, joins Saudi Arabian Monetary Authority, 280, note, and so on. In appearance, he was tall, lean, and gracious. He had a trim moustache and walked with a slight limp, a relic of the war. By nature, he was tolerant, humorous, and honourable in his dealings with the world at the extreme of that adjective's meaning. Overall, his presence was nothing if not commanding. The moment you met him, you knew you'd met someone of consequence. His siblings had somewhat drifted away from their Scottish roots. Not so my father. He served throughout the Second World War in Scottish regiments, the Lovett Scouts, and then the Seaforth Highlanders wore a kilt, played the pipes, and identified strongly with the family's careful Scottish tendencies. To this may be added a certain asceticism. It was in this respect that the difference in character between him and Ian chiefly arose. Here's a scene from Moonraker. Still sunburned, I see. M looked his disapproval. He didn't really begrudge Bond a holiday which had been partly convalescence. The hint of criticism came from the Puritan and the Jesuit who live in all leaders of men. It's perfect. The very words, that look, frowning, we may be sure, these are exactly how my father might have spoken to any of his children. He himself would rather have been flayed and dressed in salt than lie inert on a beach. The photographs of the only visit my parents made to Goldeneye soon after Ian bought it showed two people well out of their comfort zone. Rain was better for one than sun, 
little good would ever come from something that could be done easily. Smoking was disgusting. His children didn't think so. More than a glass of sherry, and one was heading for perdition. His wife didn't believe him. These were not absolute rules, not by any manner of means. I merely indicate a direction of thought. He could not have been more of an opposite to Ian, the 80-a-day man, the martini specialist, the owner of fast cars. Nothing was ever said to indicate dislike. They were just different. End of story. To us, therefore, Ian was an unknown factor, a distant relative wreathed in glamour whom we never saw. And the book collector? Terra incognita to us. But the novels arrived every year, signed wittily to my father in Ian's looping, generous, rather feminine hand. I think my father was determined not to enjoy them, and so he never did. We shouldn't forget that Ian's publisher, Jonathan Cape, also disliked the Bond books, in fact hated them with a vengeance. One can only say that they were, in the 1950s, a novelty, and many people do not like novelty. It is believed among us children that my father threw the spy who loved me into the fire on account of its lewdness. What is certain is that when he flew to America, he had from Russia with love rejacketed in brown paper so no one could see he was reading a Bond book. My sister Mary was an early fan of Undermilkwood and sought to poke some fun at our father one Sunday lunch by comparing him to Mr. Pugh with his rejacketed copy of Lives of the Great Poisoners. But the joke fell flat when it had to be explained in detail to our mother. I don't think my father would even have been amused by the Connolly spoof in which Bond is gay. He might have smiled at Bond's black shantung pyjamas, the book collector on his night table along with the digestive biscuits and Carlsbad plums. But I feel it would have been a weary smile. When Ian died, aged only 56, our knowledge of him was slight. For my part, I had met him only twice, the second time at his mother's funeral, just a week before his own death. Almost immediately, when he was scarcely cold in his grave, his detractors arose to accuse him of bad behaviour and worse. Fueled by intimacies revealed by a number of more or less salacious accounts of his private life, an unfavourable impression of my uncle became established, and thus it remained until the publication in 2015 of his letters, edited by my brother Fergus. A man is best judged by the company he keeps. Here is Leonard Russell, chief literary editor of the Sunday Times, writing to Ian in April 1963. When I think that you have only been writing for, what is it, ten years? It all seems one of the most extraordinary romances in the history of authorship. I remember how satisfied I felt when I had lunch with Aubrey Forshaw, told him that he must buy a book for Pan, the paperback house, called Casino Royale, and heard soon after that he was after it. I think I even paid for the lunch, which just goes to show that he got the greatest bargain since Milton sold Paradise Lost for £5. We don't have Ian's side of that correspondence, but throughout The Man with the Golden Typewriter, there are letters to both friends and strangers of great warmth, humour, dignity and purpose. There was a melancholic side to him that occasionally surfaces in the character of Bond, 
but in his correspondence there is little sign of it. Here, they proclaim, is a man who likes who he is and who is happy to profit to others the good fortune that he himself has come by. It was a complete eye-opener to all of us. If there was anything shabby, disreputable or opprobrious, it passed me by. A curious aspect of it was how strongly I heard the voice of my own father in Ian's writing. I cannot be exact. I can say only that in their general cheerfulness, in the choice of words, even in the shape of the sentences, I could sometimes have sworn it was my father speaking. Yet more curious was that when I mentioned this to my son Tom, who edits at the Literary Review, he said that mine was the voice he had himself heard. It was a most affecting moment. Elsewhere in this issue, there is an interview with Jeremy Miles in which he speaks of the extent to which James Bond has shaped his life. On the strength of what he said, I reread Casino Royale. It is, without question, the best thriller I know. Having myself written some novels since I first read it, I now appreciate, as I never did before, the skill with which Ian combined story, action, character, and, hardest of all, that sympathy for the human condition that informs fiction writing at the highest level. 1952 was the year in which he began the task of building the book collector. It was also the year in which he wrote Casino Royale. Both have survived and have done so with flying colours. It is a great honour for me to follow in his footsteps, in one of them at any rate. That was James Fleming reading My Uncle Ian, which he wrote for the Ian Fleming issue of The Book Collector in spring 2017. The Book Collector is a literary journal founded by Ian Fleming in 1952, covering the writing and collecting of books. You can subscribe to our journal at thebookcollector.co.uk for as little as £6 per month and get access to our complete digital archive. We offer articles, book reviews, obituaries, sales results, catalogues, news, all for just half the price of a Netflix subscription. Think of that. Half the cost of Netflix for twice the value. Visit thebookcollector.co.uk today.